is from the book of Obadiah. The vision of Obadiah. This is what the Sovereign Lord says about Edom. We have heard a message from the Lord. An envoy was sent to the nations to say, Rise and let us go against her for battle. See, I will make you small among the nations. You will be utterly despised. The pride of your heart has deceived you, and you will live in the clefts of the rocks and make your home on the heights. You will say to yourself, Who can bring me down to the ground? Though you soar like the eagle and make your nest among the stars, from there I will bring you down, declares the Lord. If thieves came to you, if robbers in the night, oh, what a disaster awaits you. Would they not steal only as much as they wanted? If grape pickers came to you, would they not leave a few grapes? But how Esau will be ransacked, his hidden treasures pillaged. All your allies will force you to the border. Your friends will deceive and overpower you. Those who eat your bread will set a trap for you, but you will not detect it. In that day, declares the Lord, will I not destroy the wise men of Eden? Edom, men of understanding in the mountains of Esau. Your warriors, O Teman, will be terrified, and everyone in Esau's mountains will be cut off in the slaughter. Because of the violence against your brother Jacob, you will be covered with shame. You will be destroyed forever. On the day you stood aloof while strangers carried off his wealth and foreigners entered his gates and cast lots for Jerusalem, you were like one of them. You should not look down on your brother in the day of his misfortune, nor rejoice, nor rejoice over the people of Judah in the day of their destruction, nor boast so much in the day of their trouble. You should not march through the gates of my people in the day of their disaster, nor look down on them in their calamity in the day of their disaster, nor seize their wealth in the day of their disaster. You should not wait at the crossroads to cut down their fugitives, nor hand over their survivors in the day of trouble. The day of the Lord is near for all nations. As you have done, it will be done to you. Your deeds will return upon your own head. Just as you drank on my holy hill, so all the nations will drink continually. They will drink and drink and be as if they have never been. But on Mount Zion will be deliverance. It will be holy, and the house of Jacob will possess its inheritance. The house of Jacob will be a fire, and the house of Joseph a flame. The house of Esau will be stubble, and they will set it on fire and consume it. There will be no survivors from the house of Esau. The Lord has spoken. People from the Negev will occupy the mountains of Esau, and the people... And people from the foothills will possess the land of the Philistines. They will occupy the fields of Ephraim and Samaria. And Benjamin will possess Gilead. This company of Israelite exiles who are in Canaan will possess the land as far as Zarephath. The exiles from Jerusalem who are in Sepharad will possess the towns of the Negev. Deliverers will go up on Mount Zion to govern the mountains of Esau and the kingdom will be the Lord's. This is the word of God. Thank you. Thank you.
And as they go, today's message is from the book of Obadiah. I'm sure all of you knew exactly where that was in your Bible. It's the fourth minor prophet, 21 verses, nestled very nicely in the book in the end of the Old Testament. Now, Obadiah is a little bit different of a book. It's an oracle of judgment pronounced in the mid-6th century B.C. on the people of Edom. And unlike most books in the Bible, it's actually not written to God's people. It's not written to the northern kingdom of Israel. It's not written to the southern kingdom of Judah. It's addressed to the Edomites, the descendants of Jacob, of, of Esau, Jacob's brother. Obadiah, which means one who serves Yahweh, prophesies against Edom for their sinfulness as they accompanied Babylon in the destruction of Jerusalem and their wrongdoing against God's people. During the Babylonian invasion, the Edomites stood by and watched. They sided with the Babylonians instead of siding with their brothers. But before we begin... Let's begin with prayer. Father, as we come into your presence, Lord, we come as your humble people, knowing that we are who we are because of you. Lord, bless this time. For we come to hear your word and still in our hearts today the gospel of Jesus. That it may encourage us. That it may direct us. That it may lead us unto your goodness and mercy. That our cups may overflow. Lord, we pray for Myra Elkins who fell over the holiday. Please restore her. Lord, may we support her in her time of need. Lord, we pray for Miss Janet. Give her strength that is incomprehensible to the outside world. Give her hope that though her body may fail, you sustain her every breath. Give her joy, for the joy of the Lord is our strength. Be with the Sartell family as they prepare for the next few months supporting Janet. May your hand protect her. Heal her. Lord, we curse at sin and at death. We curse at sickness as our bodies were not created to become weak. But our bodies fail because of the effects of sin. Lord, be gracious to her, for she is languishing. For her body is troubled. Her soul is greatly troubled. But you, O Lord, How long will you forget her? How long will you hide your face from her? How long must she have sorrow in her heart? Attend to our cry, O Lord. Give ear to our prayers. Arise, O Lord. This is our comfort in afflictions. 
that your promises give us life. O Lord, you hear the desires of the afflicted. You will strengthen their heart. You will incline your ear. We love you, O Lord, our strength. The Lord is our rock and our fortress and our deliverer. Our God, our rock, in whom we take refuge, our shield and the horn of our salvation. Our stronghold, we call upon your name. Amen. Not too long ago, we were at a playground with our children. And Luke, our middle son, was playing on one of those toys where it's like an airplane or an animal that has a big spring on the bottom of it and it just moves side to side. Well, as Luke was playing on this, a group of boys, probably fourth to fifth grade, came and surrounded him. And they let him know without telling him that they wanted to play on that toy. And Luke, having the attitude that he had, didn't pay any attention to them. He acted as though they weren't there. Now me, in my personality, I'm standing and watching this whole thing happen from about 30 feet away. He wasn't on his own. I was there to protect him if he needed it. But Luke reacted exactly how I thought Luke reacted. He very quickly realized his situation. He realized that these boys were bigger than him that these boys wanted what he had. And so very slowly, he walked away from the toys. Well, I very quickly moved towards the scene of the crime. I'd seen what taken place, and I was there to comfort Luke. And as I slowly moved, I saw this very quick flash go by my eye, and it actually scared me. That flash was a mother hen heading to attack. She wasn't moving slowly. She wasn't worried about what was going on around her. She was moving in for total destruction of her target. Now, as a parent, Jess and I have been entrusted to protect our children. We've been given an emotion to protect our children. Now, this emotion comes through us, however sinful and broken we are, and we don't always use it properly. But at this point, we were both using our emotion to save our child. Now, my reaction very much suits my personality, and Jess hers. Luckily for those boys, as Jess was moving in to kill all things... For a split second, she looked over at me and saw that Luke had come to me, and she diverted. Luckily for those boys, she came and talked to us. Now, in this story, it very much represents our own personalities of how we parent. In the story of Obadiah, we see the personality of God Almighty, the father of his children. We see him puff up his feathers, so to speak. And give strict warning to those who have harmed his children. He gives them this strict message. You have hurt my children. And you will be punished. Because since we are God's people, we face a true and harsh reality that we will 
be sinned against. We will be harmed. We will be taken advantage of. We will suffer at the hands of others. But through the prophecy of Obadiah, we find out that God promises that he will punish his enemies. And we find the promise that he will restore his people. God promises that he will put his enemies to shame. Putting people to shame. This biblical concept of judgment isn't very popular today. And it's not unpopular because people don't like justice. Because we see in our culture, our culture very much likes justice. But we must understand where do they get their concept of justice. For example, our culture wants to seek justice for the poor. They don't have resources. They don't have privileges. They try to give them a voice. Our culture very much wants to seek justice and give a voice to women. Women who used to not be able to vote, who still have a hard time getting the same wages as the job of men. And we see this voice in society that they are trying to stand up for the justice of women. Now, we might disagree with how they do that, but the point here is that our society understands justice. Our culture is also very concerned with giving a voice and identity to the LGBTQ community. And we must understand, seeking justice for all people is a good thing because justice is a characteristic of our God and Father. But our society shows through God's common grace that they can desire the same things that God desires, justice for all people. But what our society doesn't get, what they don't understand about justice, is that they don't understand the God of our Bible. Because our society rejects God's justice because they don't understand sin. They don't understand God's hatred of sin. What God is declaring through Obadiah is that he will have the final say concerning sin. He will have the final word and the enemies of his people will be put to shame. Remember, Obadiah isn't proclaiming this on his own power. He's a prophet. A prophet is a spokesman of God, usually to God's people. But here he's a representative of God to another nation. And God uses Obadiah as his prophet to proclaim to Edom, Edom, because you have wronged my people, vengeance will be mine. And I will repay each person according to what they have done. And we see this in verse 15. For the day of the Lord is near upon all the nations. As you have done, it shall be done to you. Your deeds shall return on your own head. You see, because Edom's actions against God's people made them enemies of God's people. If you are an enemy of God's people, you are an enemy of God. Because what are God's people commissioned to do? They're commissioned to be set apart and to be holy so that they might be a blessing to the nations. 
So when the Edomites sinned against God's people, they were actually hindering them from blessing the nations. They are hindering God's divine plan of how he redeems his people. God declares to Edom, because of their actions, they will be put to shame forever, as we see in verse 10. Because of the violence done to your brother Jacob, shame shall cover you, and you shall be cut off forever. The Lord will bring them down, as we see in verse 4. And Obadiah actually tells us what Edom has done. Read with me verses 11 through 12. On that day you stood aloof. On the day that strangers carried off his wealth and foreigners entered his gates and cast lots for Jerusalem, you were like one of them. But do not gloat over the day of your brother in the day of his misfortune. Do not rejoice over the people of Judah in the day of their ruin. Do not boast in their day of distress. Here we see Edom standing by and watching the Babylonians sack Jerusalem their relatives. But it gets worse. Read verse 13. Do not enter the gate of my people in the day of their calamity. Do not gloat over his disaster in the day of his calamity. Do not loot his wealth in the day of his calamity. Edom, looting, gloating, and joining in on the attack of the relatives. No longer are they just watching. They are actively participating in the destruction of Jerusalem. But it gets worse. Read verse 14. Do not stand at the crossroads to cut off his fugitives. Do not hand over his survivors in the day of his distress. Now we find the Edomites picking off God's people as they are trying to flee the city as it's being burned. And they are either killing God's people or they are turning them over to the Babylonians. In every way, Edom is betraying its brother. In every way, Edom is sinning against God's people. In every way, Edom has obstructed God's plan for blessing his creation. They have become an enemy of God because they have become an enemy of God's people. And God promises Edom that he will put them to shame. So how does this letter apply to us today? I'm glad you asked. Are some of you opposing God's plan? Are some of you opposing God's people? Harming them? Taking advantage of them? sinning against them, hindering them from becoming a blessing to others. If you are, hear Obadiah's warning. For if anyone hinders God's plan for redeeming his creation, you will receive his wrath. If you oppose God's people, this warning is for you. As you have done, it shall be done to you. Your deeds shall return upon your head. 
If you do not know God, and if you're not a part of God's people, you are still in your sin, destroying God's providential will of blessing his creation. And this isn't popular to talk about today. And it's not popular because people in our society don't understand the depths of their own sin. If you're not a part of God's people, you are still in your sin. But there's good news. Jesus saves sinners. The good news is that Jesus, even though we are guilty of our sin, even though you might hinder God's plan knowingly or unknowingly, even though you might think that God's judgment is just rubbish, or you might not think that your sin is that big of a deal, or that your sin actually doesn't hurt anybody, or that your sin is tolerable, the good news of the gospel is that Jesus died for you. If you believe in Jesus, your sin has been dealt with. For God's justice has been satisfied in the cross of Christ. The good news is for you that even though you weren't a part of God's people, you are now brought into God's people. Because God's wrath has been poured out upon Jesus. And this is justification by Christ alone. Believe in Jesus. Repent of your sin. And then the words of Paul in Romans 5 will be true for you. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. We receive God's promises through Jesus. Join God's people as we anticipate the promises of the fulfillment of our Christ's return. You are either part of God's people or you are God's enemies. The scripture leaves no middle ground. You are either hindering God's people or you are God's people. God's promise to us is that our enemies will be conquered. God will win. That's the story of Scripture. And now we wait patiently, anticipating those promises to be fulfilled. And this is where we see that Obadiah's prophecy is actually two-sided. That God promises his people that he will put his enemies to shame. But we also see that God promises his people that they will be restored. Delayed gratification. Today, you will see anywhere from 500 to 5,000 advertisements in a single day. We are prone to immediate, instant gratification. Push notifications on your cell phone, on your iPad. These are designed to make sure that your phone is always in your hand. They are there to make sure that you know that there is something going on outside of where you are. ESPN, there's something going on outside of you. A tweet, something is going on in the world of the Internet. A text message, something is going on. 
And these are designed that you don't miss anything because heaven forbid we missed a post on Facebook. Heaven forbid we keep a streak from going. Maybe you don't use your smartphone. How do you get instant gratification? Perfect example, a Keurig. Because who has time for, to wait for a whole pot of coffee? Have you Googled something? Instant gratification to information. All of these things are set up to give us what we want as fast as possible. But unfortunately, what these devices do to us doesn't give us the same message that we see here in Obadiah. Because God in this prophecy doesn't just swoop down as he did with Elijah. And this is where this book becomes really difficult. Because we prefer instant gratification. We prefer not to wait. But if we know the historical context behind this book, we realize that the prophecy of God's justice upon Edom actually comes after Jerusalem is already destroyed. This is why being a part of God's people is so difficult. Because we are sinned against. And then we are told we have to wait. This message was given to the people of God to give them hope. And we know this because this book is included in our scriptures. Yes, it is addressed to Edomites. Throughout the book, it addresses the Edomites. But it is in God's holy word. Meaning that it's pointing to Edomites. But it's given for God's people. God's people are the recipients of these prophecies. How are God's people supposed to be comforted that God will seek their justice while they're in exile? How will they receive justice while they are being victimized? The question in their mind, will God actually fulfill his promises? Edom has prospered. Jerusalem is in ashes. The moral order of the world appeared to be in chaos. But Obadiah was raised as a messenger of God to strengthen God's people at their biggest time of weakness. He gave them hope when they were overcome by hopelessness. And at that time that they were low, the shepherd speaks to them about green pastures where he will lead them. He speaks of still waters, of the paths of righteousness. He speaks of the table that he will prepare for them in the presence of their enemies. And God promises to restore his people with the same promises that he promised Abraham. We see this in verse 17. But in Mount Zion, there shall be those who escape, and it shall be holy. And the house of Jacob shall possess their own possessions. God promises to restore his people. God gives them hope for the future. When they will return to his holy city, 
and will re-establish his throne. And God promises these fulfillments. And we see the fulfillments of these promises in uh, Ezra in the books of Nehemiah. The people do return. The people are restored. God's promises are fulfilled. But are these promises still true for us today? Does God promise to sustain us in our time of weakness? The answer is yes. Even to the point where we believe that we are overcome and we have no hope. At the time when we feel like our finances won't ever be reconciled. At the time where our depression and our anxiety rears its ugly head. At a time when we can't feel any lonelier. At a time when we feel we can't get our lives put together. At a time when we feel that nobody cares just how lonely you are. Even at times when you lay victim to those close to you. Especially at times when we receive a message that cancer has returned. And at a time when we feel our sin cannot be conquered and that death is overcoming us, the Lord promises that one day He will return and reign on Mount Zion. The gospel promises that Jesus, our King, will return and restore His kingdom. And in that kingdom, there will be no more death. There will be no more cancer. There will be no more loneliness. There will be no more broken families. There will be no more anxiety and depression. There will be no more victims. Because our king will be on the throne. Because when Christ returns, he will return his kingdom back to Eden. To the garden. Where his people are in perfect fellowship with him. And this work has already begun. Through you, his people. Through the preaching of the gospel. Through the reconciliation that we have now with our families. Even over Thanksgiving turkey. Through the building up of his church. We have been given the promise that Christ has risen from the grave and that he will return. The purpose of this book is twofold to warn Edom of their imminent judgment and to reassure God's people of his promises that the God that created them, that redeemed them out of the land of Egypt will have final word and to give us hope that God will judge the enemies of our people because of their sin. But we are given a hope that Jesus has taken that burden for us. We have to remember that when Obadiah was written, why were the people in exile? They were sent there because of their own sin. It was God's punishment upon them for breaking the covenant. 
even at the time that they are in exile, God gave them the promises that he would restore them. God's love will sustain them even then. And even though the provision might not come at the time of their choosing, Obadiah assures the people that God's promises will come true. Friends, this prophecy is for us. God has promised us in Jesus that he has final victory over sin and death. And as God's people, we anticipate the return of our Savior. We anticipate his return to establish the new Jerusalem, the new Mount Zion, the new heavens and the new earth, where he will redeem his creation. This is a message for those who seem to have no hope. But we are a people that have received hope in Jesus Christ. Because even though when we were hopeless, he gave us hope by bearing our sin upon the cross. He will return. He will conquer our final enemy of sin. And we will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. In Revelation 21, we are given a good picture of what this will look like. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. The first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of the heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who is seated on the throne, behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give them springs of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexual immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. We anticipate the promises of Jesus' return. And as we wait, we are given hope. For God is faithful in Jesus Christ. And now we will sing a new song of this great feast that we look forward to with our Savior.